two, three, testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, why is RFM such an SOB? As many of you may know, I co-host a podcast that is done on a weekly basis. It is broadcast live on YouTube and other platforms every Wednesday evening at 6.20 p.m. Mountain Time. It's called Mormonism Live, and Bill Real and I have been doing Mormonism Live for about two and a half years at this point. We started in December of 2020. We have a great time on the show. We do deep dives into issues of Mormon history and current Mormon subjects. On May 17th of 2023, we had a special guest on the show, Spencer Anderson, who is a professor of accounting at the University of Illinois. We were there to talk about the news report on church finances and the SEC scandal by 60 Minutes, which had aired the previous Sunday. Well, after we got done with the bulk of the show, we followed up with our customary practice of having listeners call into the show with questions or comments that they might have. The second caller into the show was named Justin, and he identified himself as a TBM, a true believing Mormon. Now, it's not often that we have true believing Mormons calling into the show, so this was unusual. And Justin had a specific question that he wanted to ask Spencer Anderson, and everything started from there. Justin ended up being on the show for about 15 minutes, and around halfway through his call, I became involved with questioning Justin. And the main question I had for him was, if he were somewhat troubled by what the leaders of the church had done with the SEC scandal, was there anything that the prophet could do that would be so bad that it would cause Justin to consider him to be no longer a prophet of God? Now, from my perspective, Justin did not answer the question. He was using tried and true tactics in order to avoid answering the question. And every time I saw him start going down one of these rabbit trails to not respond to the question, I pulled him back to the question and once again asked him the question. I was bound and determined to get him to answer the question. And I think that's where some of the problems arose. And by problems, I mean that there were a number of members of the audience who thought that I was not treating Justin fairly, that I was being rude to him, and that I should have been more solicitous to Justin, especially because he had identified himself as a TBM. The purpose of tonight's episode is to talk about that incident. And I really don't want this to be me coming out here and trying to defend myself. I will explain myself. But I'm also going to let you know that I've gotten a sizable number of people who are critical of my performance on that show. And when I get a lot of people whom I respect telling me the same thing, even if it's negative about me, I know that I have to take that seriously. And it is because I am taking the opinions of many listeners to the show seriously that I wanted to do this special episode dealing with the subject. We could call it a conversation about conversation. Now, I had first thought that I was just going to play the entire clip with Justin and then come back and give comments along the way, but I was surprised to find out that we had him on the show for quite a length of time, especially for a caller. In fact, I would wager that we gave Justin more time on the show than we have ever given any caller in the past. Actually, it's more than 15 minutes. I just went back and looked at the total clip. It's 18 minutes that we had Justin on the show. So that just became too long. I don't want to play that entire clip and then go back and replay the clip with my comments. Instead, I will direct you to the May 17th episode of Mormonism Live. It's titled Gone in 60 Minutes. And if you go to the three hour mark, actually just about 10 seconds shy of the three hour mark in that show, that's where Justin begins his phone call. So if you want to hear it straight, the way it played out, go there, listen to it for yourself if you haven't already. But what I'm going to do here is I'm going to start with the beginning of Justin calling, play the tape through, and I'm going to stop it periodically to explain to you what was going on in my mind while Justin was saying what it was he was saying. So let's go ahead and start with that tape and we'll play the first clip. Here is, I believe, Justin. Justin, are you there? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're on Mormonism Live, my friend. Okay. Hey, I had a quick question. Now, and I'll, you know, up front, I'm an active Mormon, and this stuff is all really always hard to hear. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about that. But what I was curious about, and something I haven't heard talked about, kind of two questions. 
no one has really said what this means going forward. Will it continue to go the way it's been going? Like when we talk about becoming a trillion dollar company, does that mean we're going to have a hundred shell companies or this SEC fine? Does this say you now have to redefine and do everything different? Or we will, will we just be dealing with fines every year until whenever? For, can I ask you a question? With, oh. Can I ask you as a, you know, as a believing, active, faithful Latter-day Saint, does hearing how much money they make, hearing the unethical actions they took to create the shell companies and to perpetuate that whole thing, does it bother you at all? Like, are, is, this, is this causing some concern in you about the leaders of your church? So right off the bat, Justin is called in with a specific question to ask regarding the SEC scandal. And Bill Reel, in his usual adroit and adept way, changes the question and asks Justin a question in return, which you've just heard what that question was. It had to do with how he feels about the leaders of his church having engaged in this SEC scandal, which I thought was a good question. And I was anxious to hear how it was that Justin would respond to it. Um, me personally, um, I've, I've worked in a lot of businesses and I, I understand a little bit of accounting. So I, I understand the idea of shell companies is not always a scandalous thing. And this one, it, it feels like it falls a little more on that. Um, a little more on the scandalous honesty, side. I, I, yes. Um, I... And this is something I, I truthfully believe in. I, I believe in many are called, few are chosen. I believe in certain sections of the Doctrine and Covenants. And I believe we do go through periods as a church that where we could be a little under condemnation, but still have elements of truth. Does it, does it hit hard and hurt in some elements? Yes. I wish we would take some way more of this and invest. I live in an area, I've been in a bishopric that's not uh, a very wealthy area in Utah. And I've, I've seen us do a lot of good with the funds of the church and help personally. And I just think if we could expand that so much further, I just don't know there's so much more good to be done. And that, and I, I, I admit you guys might view that as naive or ignorant, but that's kind of where I stand on it. But I would also really like to see a lot of this cleaned up and done better. Now, the first thing I noticed about Justin's response is that it was somewhat ambiguous. Yes, he was admitting that this did look somewhat scandalous, but then he falls back on the idea that many are called, but few are chosen, that there can be times when the church doesn't act as good as it should, but that doesn't really necessarily impact the fact that it is true and that it is led by living prophets. But the first thing I wanted to do was to actually do Justin the courtesy of answering the question that he had originally asked. So here I am answering that question. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I, I'm glad that you're watching the show. And I didn't catch the name. I apologize. What was the name? Justin. Justin. Yeah, thanks for watching oh, it was the show. Justin. Yeah, we're not here to, we're certainly here to be a voice of uh, a criticism, hopefully not cynicism, about the church, trying to give it credit where credit is Little due. Cynicism. And I think we've done that already tonight. Uh, but I'm glad you're watching the show. To answer your question... I think that the days of the shell companies with EP are gone because they got found out because of a whistleblower and then it got investigated. And then even though EP started in 1997, the first time EP filed a 13F quarterly in its own name representing its assets was not until the year 2000. 2020. Was it, I'm sorry, 2020. I lost 20 years. 2020, thank you. Um, So in other words, it wasn't 23 years until 23 years later that EP for the first time after its creation files a 13F that it was required to file from the very beginning because it had over $100 million in assets and $7 billion to start with is a lot more than 100 million. Okay, so those days are past. That particular strategy is gone. 
and EP, I expect, is going to be filing in its own name from here on out. But just because that particular strategy is gone, the fact that they used it in the first place and they used it for so long and they were so deceptive about it in doing it doesn't make me optimistic that the church won't come up with some other strategy or in the future or is engaged in at least one, if not more strategies that we don't know about right now. In this next section, it begins with a little bit of confusion when Maven pops in to try and ask what it is that Bill was saying when she thought he was muted, but he was actually talking to Justin. That will get explained as we go along. But then Spencer Anderson, our accounting friend from the University of Illinois, wants to ask Justin a question, which he does and which you'll hear, and you will hear Justin's response to that question. Can I ask a question to Justin? Go ahead. I Bill made a comment earlier, but since he was muted, I don't think anyone heard it. Well, what did he say? Uh-oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I, am I there? No. Hold on yeah, a second, so Justin. Bill, yeah, Bill, I just saw, I don't know if you were talking to somebody else, or I thought you were being... No, 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 no. I, no, no, no. I was talking to Justin off the air from this, letting oh. him know that we were going to hang up with him and let him listen off the air. But Spence wants to ask him a question and Good. Justin actually wants to ask us a question again as well. So go ahead, Spence. If you don't mind, uh, this is a question I've wanted to ask uh, faithful members a lot. So do you think it's possible that God directed the church to create these shell companies and report in this way? So in all honesty, you know way more about this than me. Okay. Um, I have wondered, and I don't know, but I have wondered there was such a, a long period of time between ill prophets and different things that President Hinckley and President Monson were very involved in all the interactions of the church for quite a long time. I wondered when, and I and I feel their prophets. I love their teachings. I have felt the spirit when I listened to them. I wonder when President Nelson was put in, and there was this huge change. I I also wonder at that moment were they aware of this situation because it was a pretty drastic change in leadership. As far as your question. Now, at this point, Justin does not seem to respond directly to the question that was posed to him by Spencer Anderson. Instead, he wants to pursue a different thought first. And I heard his different thought as trying to make space for President Nelson to have not been complicit in the SEC scandal because he arrived as president on the scene rather late in time. Justin admits that President Hinckley knew about the scandal and was involved in it. He also admits that President Monson was knowledgeable about the scandal and was involved in it. But he seemed to want to carve out a space for President Nelson to be innocent of any wrongdoing. Now, I knew from my work with the Widow's Might report that that was not the case and that actually, even though President Nelson came on the scene late and was made president in early 2018, it was after that that in response to yet another whistleblower report Two of the quote-unquote investment managers for the shell companies at Enzyme Peak resigned their positions, but instead of doing anything about the situation to correct it or make it in compliance with the law that they'd been violating for over 20 years, instead of that, they just replaced those two investment managers with two other schmoes who are willing to sign off on all the fraudulent paperwork and keep the scam alive. And before Justin went on with his answer, I wanted to address that issue first so it would not become lost and forgotten in the course of the conversation. As far as your question, Oh, I, I will say, I'm sorry. Hey, Justin, hang, hang on a second. Yeah, I will please. just say to answer your question that yes, Gordon B. Hinckley in his first presidency totally knew about this because it was in 1997 that this was created when Gordon B. Hinckley was the president and it continued under Thomas Monson's administration and continued under President Nelson's administration. So all of them knew about it together with all their counselors in the first presidency and the correspondence. Oh no, but that's what I was wondering. I don't know if President Nelson knew about it. Of course, I believe the other ones knew about it. Yeah, Nelson might be the most When he became president... And he continued the policy even after 
the two yeah. guys, yeah. there was a whistleblowing, no, and, and, and I, two of the investors I, quit. I, yeah. But I... So at this point, Justin now turns around and tries to answer the question that was originally posed to him by Spencer Anderson. But as I listened to what Justin said, it sounded like it was back and forth. It sounded wishy-washy to me. It sounded to me like he was saying that prophets could do things that were not inspired of God. In fact, that prophets could do things that God would not be happy with, and yet they could still be prophets. And this is what ends up precipitating my line of questioning to Justin to see if I can get him to answer the question of whether there is anything the prophet could do that would be so bad that it would cause Justin to no longer consider that man to be a prophet of God. But here's Justin's answer to Spencer's question that begins to raise this question in my mind. And then as far as your other question, yes, it, it doesn't smell well. It's not good. Um, just through our whole history, which I love to study and learn about, I've, I've never been one to fully believe that God directs every decision, every doctrine, and I think it's up to us to always wrestle back and forth on what the role of the prophet is number one, and also we always got to check ourselves in self-interest and pride and sin. Um, I, and I guess I could only say that as my own witness. I pray. I read the Book of Mormon. I feel the spirit in some sections and other sections. I'm like, I don't even know if that was translated correctly. Yeah, that's the Isaiah. Um, but, but, would I say I've had God talk to me every day, guiding every moment of my life? No. So as I say, it struck me that Justin was really not answering the question, and it seemed that he was being intentionally vague and ambiguous in order to avoid answering the question. Now, I've got to tell you, you may not know this, but I'm a lawyer, and my day job is being an attorney and a litigator. I've been in court many times in many hearings and many trials over my 33 years of practicing law. And when a witness is on the stand and they're asked a question by me and they give an answer that doesn't answer my question, they're avoiding the question, what that does is it immediately focuses me on that person because I am going to bring them back to the question time and time again in order to get them to answer the question if I think it's a significant enough question and an important point to be made. And right, wrong, or indifferent, this is what happened at this point in time in this interview. I went from being RFM podcaster to being RFM attorney. So here's the question that I asked to Justin, and here's his initial response. Yeah, Justin, can I ask you a question? Here's my question. It is de de demonstrable in the SEC order, the nine-page order, that the first presidency was complicit in breaking the laws, the federal laws of the United States over a period of 22 years in order to conceal how much money the church had from the members because they were concerned that the members would not pay tithing if they knew how much money they had. I understand you, what you've said, I believe. My question for you is, how many more laws or how big a law would the first presidency have to break before you would think that that would impact your testimony as to whether they're called of God to be prophets. Well, and that's a loaded gun question. I mean, if we're both really honest, there's, you put some mustard on that. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, is it the thing we always fear? I mean, you think about the book Under the Banner of Heaven when people are like calling us the Taliban. That, that's hard to read something like that. Now, I want to point out here that Justin was the person who first introduced the subject of the book and the series Under the Banner of Heaven, which, of course, details the murders of Brenda Lafferty and her 14-month-old baby girl, Erica, by Brenda's brothers-in-law, Ron and Dan Lafferty because they believed that they had a revelation from God to murder them. So it was Justin who first introduced this idea and started me thinking along those lines. I also remember the thought crossed my mind when Justin was saying that he didn't like the fact that the book 
called them, the Mormons, the Taliban. Now, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to from the book, and I don't know in what context that expression was used, whether it was to modern Mormons who are just faithful members of the church, or whether it was referring to these fundamentalist whack jobs. I don't know. But I know that the thought crossed my mind when Justin said that, you read Under the Banner of Heaven, and that's what you took away from the book? But I didn't go there. Instead, I noticed that what Justin was doing was he was going down a rabbit trail in order to avoid answering my question. So as politely as possible, I brought him back to the question and asked him if he would simply answer it. Um, oh, right. But I think that's a different issue. So here's my question, because frequently, and I used to be this way. I mean, I was TBM. I had this huge, massive spiritual experience. The first time I prayed my way through the Book of Mormon, when I was 18 years old, Justin. So you know, uh, we've got a lot in common. But usually when I, a lot of times when I ask this question to members of the church, um, you know, what would the first presidency have to do in order for you to think, okay, that's too much? And the answer is almost always X plus one. In other words, no matter what they've done and no matter how bad it is and no matter how indisputable it is, like it is in this case, it's always something more than that that they would have to do. And so I'm wondering, is there, if this isn't enough for you to think that either these guys are not called of God, or if they were, they've blown it, and now they're not called of God anymore. And amen to the priesthood of that man, by the way, section 121, right? Amen to the priesthood of that man. Right. What would they have to do? But I, I guess that's the thing, and this is from a believer's perspective. Yeah. That's okay. why we want to hear your perspective. I would say that you could go through the history of the church through the lost book of Lehi all the way through every prophet that in that calling that they've had an experience that they had a, they overreached mm -hmm. and they were allowed to overreach and God had to bring it back. Now, do we apologize and say, sorry, I wish we did more of that, mm -hmm. but I, I think you could go from. I said, you said, I wish no, we did more of that saying happen. we're sorry. I and I said, I wish we did any of that. No, but I wish we did more of that. Like I, because the church has never said it's sorry. Anything. That's the only point I'm making. Justin. We've never said, I'm sorry. Yeah, never. No, you're not sorry I, about I anything. You saying. can't criticize them. Right. Well, that, that's up to individual. I mean, I, I don't want to feel like I'm just following in blind faith. I did it myself. I've done with the California. I'm I, sorry, Justin. Huh? And yet, aren't you following in blind faith? If I'm understanding what you said, every single prophet who's gone before has done things that they shouldn't have done. And therefore, the current prophets can do things they shouldn't have done. And there's no limit to the things that they can do that they shouldn't do that's going to make you think that's too far. Have I stated your position accurately? If not, please correct me. So midway through this clip, we got into a bit of a kerfuffle about the issue of whether the church has ever apologized. Now, Justin never said the church has ever apologized. What he did say is he would like to see the church do more apologizing. And then I jumped in and I was joined by Bill to correct him that the church has never apologized. And if the church has never apologized, how can they do more apologizing? But I think I recapitulated Justin's position there at the end. I'm trying to steel man him. I am trying to understand what his answer to the question is and giving him the opportunity to correct me if I'm misunderstanding him. And indeed, Justin follows up by trying to answer my question by saying that, no, I have not correctly characterized his position. But then he goes on to try and distinguish his position in a way that doesn't sound like it's really distinguished from the position at all. Instead, he starts going into the idea that prophets have a prophetic side. They also have a human side. We have to understand the humanity of prophets. And this does not seem to me to be answering the question either. So once again, I interrupt as politely as possible and try and bring him back to the question at hand. Have I stated your position accurately? If not, please correct me. I, I understand how you're saying that. Am I correct? But no, of course, there, there's always elements and we always got to fix it. 
And that to I, me is wood tools. I'm sorry, I, I didn't hear you, Justin. No, I, what did you say there? There's always elements of what? No, there's always elements of humanity and progression. And okay, so wait, okay, you haven't you haven't you haven't argued with me yet. You haven't told me that there is something that the prophet could do that would be too far for you. And if there's nothing the prophet can do that would be too far for you, that sounds like blind faith to me. No, it's not that at all. Okay, so what could the prophet do that would be too far? Once again, instead of answering the question, which I have posed several times now, Justin is going to go down another rabbit trail, and it's a familiar rabbit trail, and he's going to try and liken his membership in the LDS Church to his citizenship in the United States of America and say that the history of America has done a lot of awful things, but that doesn't mean he's going to stop being a citizen of the United States. This is a total non sequitur. It's going nowhere. It's eating up time, and it's only serving to try and avoid the question and allow Justin to get away with not answering it. At least that's what I'm seeing at this point. So I interrupt him in the middle of this new rabbit trail and try and bring him back to the question at hand. Okay, so what could the prophet do that would be too far? No, my point is, it's not like I'm looking to check one thing off a list. Just, just as I would say, I love being an American, but we have a grotesque history in civil, dis- I mean, pe- treating people poorly. Does that now mean that I should not be an American anymore? There's I don't a think that's answering my question. Yeah. Okay, and, and the fact that you're not answering my question, and the fact that you seem to be intentionally going to lengths to not answer my question, no, I, makes me, I mean, yes, makes me conclude, makes me conclude, makes me conclude no, that there is that you're agreeing I, with me that there is nothing the president of the church could do, no matter how wrong, that would make that would be too oh, much no, for you, not, and you'd say he's not a prophet anymore. Sometimes when a person is not answering the question that's been put to them several times, it is helpful to get them to answer the question by pointing out what it looks like they're doing, and it looks like they're intentionally avoiding answering the question. Once that is brought out publicly, it can sometimes lead to the individual feeling that they really do need to answer the question, and that's exactly what happened here. Finally, Justin comes up with an example of something a prophet could do that he would think would be beyond the pale. And he gives us this example. Well, number one, if you said we got to gather up arms and defend and start murdering people, of course that's... That would probably be too much for me. Okay, so the prophet could do something that would be too much for you to accept him as a prophet... And you've given the example of if he said to the members to gather up arms and do what? To go murder people? Now, at this point, I am thinking that Justin has finally given me an answer to my question, and I am done with my line of questioning. I could have brought up Mountain Meadows Massacre. It flashed across my mind, but I'm not going to go there because he has now played by the rules. He's answered my question. He's given me an example of what a prophet could do that would make him no longer a prophet. And I am just about ready to say thank you so much for answering the question. We agree on that point. And I'm glad that you listened to the show. And let's go on to the next caller. But then something significant happens. And the significant thing that happened is that Justin waffled on his answer. And to me, he sounded like he was saying that even though he would not follow a prophet who said to the members to gather up arms and start shooting innocent people, that there was still a way in his mind that that prophet could continue to be God's prophet, only that Justin would personally not follow that prophet anymore. And this is the critical moment where things began to go south. Okay, so the prophet could do something that would be too much for you to accept him as a prophet. And you've given the example of if he said to the members to gather up arms and do what? To go murder people? No, it's it's not the fact of me accepting him as a prophet. It's me saying to myself, I can't follow that anymore. Okay. The church is going to continue on without me. I'm a, a very small piece. No, you're a very important piece. You may be small, but you're important. 
You're critical to the church. You're a small cog in the wheel, but without the cogs, the wheels don't turn. At this point, I want to return to the example that Justin had given and what I perceived as his waffling on that example. So I repeat the question because once again, I want to steel man his position. I want to make sure that I'm understanding correctly what it is that he is trying to say. So I recapitulate his position and ask him if I'm correct in understanding what it is I think he's saying. You're a small cog in the wheel, but without the cogs, the wheels don't turn. So I just want you to know that. I think we may have more in common than not. I'm not sure. But it almost sounds to me like what you're saying is the, the prophet could get tell people, gather your arms. We're going to go kill these innocent people. And that would be too much for you. You would leave, but they would still be a prophet. No, I'm saying is a prophet anything without followers? I wouldn't follow at that point. But he would still be a prophet. If I'm saying, are, are people called of God or not called of God? Or No. I mean, I, Here's I the thing. Okay, now you've officially God. entered into Scaryville for me. Because no, now I, you're I starting to sound exactly too. like, hang on a second. Did you watch Under the Banner of Heaven? Did you read the book? Are you familiar with the Lafferty's? Because you're starting to sound exactly I, like I that. I read the book. I didn't watch the show. Do you know the Lafferty's and are you or were you a member of their group? Are you serious? It's a simple yes or no question. No, I'm not. Okay, well, be careful because from what I'm hearing, it sounds like you would fit in there just a little too comfortably. I'm sorry you feel that. I was just calling with the question to ask about the SEC. Yeah. Now, it is that exact question that I asked Justin about whether he knows the Lafferty's or whether he's a member of their group that has elicited the most negative commentary about me during the course of this entire conversation with Justin on this Mormonism Live show. And I'm going to let you know what it was that I was thinking and what crossed my mind at that moment and why it was that I pursued that line of questioning. But that's going to take a little bit of time to explain. So before I go to that part, I want to finish the conversation that I had with Justin because I sensed, of course, that I had pushed him a little further than I would normally push a person calling in. And so I wanted to try and make things right as best I could before he hung up. And this is what I said to him at the end of the call. It's hey, Justin. okay. Hey, Justin, Justin, here's the deal. This is all about exchanging ideas. I asked you some very pointed questions. It's my nature. It's, it's my profession, actually. And I'm glad that you called. I'm glad that you hung in there. I'm glad you're watching the show for whatever reason. I hope you will in the future. And all I was doing was expressing my opinion to you. And you were expressing your opinion to me. And I think that is always a good thing. Yeah. So thank no, you and for calling. I want you to thank know. you for watching. Do you shows? Yeah. Thank you. Have a great day, Justin. Okay. Thanks. Wow. That was, that was interesting. So that concluded the phone call with Justin. But before I get to the part where I explain why I was thinking what I was thinking and making the comments that I was making about the Lafferty's and drawing those connections in my mind, I want to go over the comments that were coming in on the live chat. Now, I don't look at the live chat while the show is going. It would be way too distracting for me to try and look at what people are saying while I'm trying to focus on what the guest is saying, what Bill is saying, and what the callers are saying. So I just delete it from my screen. But I do go back later that night or the next day and I review some of the comments that people had made. I looked at the comments that were being made in the live chat by the viewers regarding my conversation and the questions I was asking to Justin. And most of those comments seemed to be uniformly positive about me and or negative about Justin, i.e. that he's not answering the question. I want to give you a flavor for those comments right now. I'm going to pull up the live chat from that Mormonism Live episode. And here are a few of those comments. Sir, answer the question. Then this comment, objection, non-responsive. Someone else says, wow, FLDS is my vibe on this call. Man, this guy will just not answer the damn question that Bill asked. Someone else says, great call, Justin. So there's a positive one for Justin in the live chat. Someone else says, Justin, so much good is done by the generous, kind members who are being taken to the cleaners by the leaders of the church. 
Someone else says, Justin, the fact of the matter is that they did not and have not used the EPA funds for good, other than building a mall and bailing out an insurance company. Someone else says, thanks for calling in, Justin. I appreciate your questions. Another commenter says, this is like when RFM asked if God wanted Joseph Smith to marry a 14-year-old. Winding answer with no point. Someone else says, next caller, please. Someone else says, I don't mean to be rude, but it felt like a complete 180. And I think that that comment was about Justin's waffling on that particular question that I had asked him. Someone else says, this is very educational. Another commenter says, we are getting testimonied here. Another comment says, Justin, a whistleblower holding the church to its own teachings of honesty and following the law is not persecution. They have reaped what they sowed. The government investigated without bias. Maven then stands up for how much time we're giving to Justin by saying, I understand this person can be frustrating, but it's a pretty big deal for a believer to be watching, let alone call in, and I think he deserves some patience from the hosts. Someone else says, great question, RFM. Again, someone else says, answer the question, Justin. Someone else says, I love this caller. Then another comment in the live chat, no wonder no TBM can answer the question clearly. What would it take to shake your testimony? Another commenter says, wow, it was a simple question, and in essence, how he answers will divulge his own level of integrity. Another commenter comes in, answer the damn question, dude. Another comment says, Justin, please don't feel persecuted. It is great you are here, but you are making excuses for the brethren. They would not do the same for you. They would excommunicate you or call you to repentance. Somebody else says, great cross-exam, RFM. Someone else says, this is a yes or no question, Justin. Another commenter says, props to Justin for staying engaged. And I agree with that comment, by the way. Someone else says, this guy won't answer a question. It's like trying to catch a fish with a shovel instead of a fishing rod. Another comment says, he draws the line at murder. That's a start. That's how I was feeling too at the same time. Someone else says, murder someone, as in blood atonement? Danites? Oath of revenge? So that is a sampling of some of the comments that were going on in the live chat. I'm not going to read all of the comments. That's not the point. Just to give you a flavor for the fact that while there were people who were positive and supportive of Justin, as I was trying to be occasionally when I was talking with him, there was nothing in the live chat that was overtly negative about me or the line of questioning that I was pursuing with Justin. But all of that changed when I got to the YouTube comments. Now, these are the comments that can be made at any time. You don't have to be watching the show live to post the comments like you do to post the comments in the live chat. These are comments that can be made by anybody at any time after watching the show on YouTube. And it was when I started going to those comments that I started encountering comments that were negative about me and my performance. And I want to read all the negative ones that I can find to give you a flavor for those. Alex H. says, as a longtime listener, I was pretty disappointed in that interaction with Justin. Hope you guys do better in the future. Riley McCracken says, I have been loving and binging this podcast for weeks, but that display with Justin was really awful. It really destroyed my enthusiasm. He came to this podcast seeking information and you humiliated him. KP says, really cringe to see RFM and Bill team up on the sympathetic, believing member who called in toward the end. Why can't we just have amicable discussions free of this sort of bullying behavior? Brooklyn Park says, I know, this poor guy just wanted to ask a question, and they spent ages trying to change his mind on a subject he wasn't even broaching through interruptive debate. Poor Justin, he's never going to trust them again. Aaron Brewster says, yeah, that wasn't cool. There are definitely blind followers out there, but this caller wasn't one of them. Tammy Don says, it went too far. Justin has valid points. We all know that. As former TBMs ourselves, we know that. He was very brave to call. Thank you, Justin. Count Kolob says, I agree. I don't expect any kind of moderate, non-extreme responses from Bill, but RFM was a disappointment. There was no subtlety and very little respect in that exchange. Stick Vaughn says, I'm a fan, but I thought you were uncharacteristically nasty to the caller Justin. He represented the view of family members that I love and didn't deserve to be treated like a hostile witness. You made an enemy, not a point here. Cotty Boy says, I agree. They seem to become really aggressive with callers when the shows run long. Likening Justin to the Lafferty's was way over the line. Kimberly says, I think I understand why RFM asked what he did of Justin, but it came off very harsh. I think in a situation where a listener won't answer, the call should be ended versus going strongly into debate with someone unable or unwilling to debate. 
Just my two cents on that one part. Overall, I really enjoyed this episode. Thanks to Bill, Spencer, and RFM for it. James Wahlberg says, One of the most intense call-ins. Am so glad a TBM called in. AJ Adams says, Too aggressive RFM for a simple man to answer. Justin is a believer and hasn't crossed the Rubicon of magical faith. KP joins in, RFM literally accused the guy of being a Lafferty. Just deplorable behavior. Bill Real joined in too. Sad that the Widow's Mike guy didn't say anything to defend the caller. Rebecca Clayton says, At the very end, y'all pushed Justin and pinned him in a corner. What a stupid move. He had listened carefully and appreciated your podcast until you made it sound like he would be a murderer. What a stupid move. He deserved to be treated better. I really like your podcast. Was about to subscribe and donate until that event. Attacking TBM was just wrong. You don't get converts in that method. Having your agenda to push doesn't mean that you can destroy a person. Wow. Three exclamation points. Tamara Tammy Tam says, They weren't unkind to him, nor was he attacked. Come on. In the real world, people discuss topics realistically, and most people in the real world don't have persecution complexes that make them think that they are being picked on or treated badly, destroyed, simply because another person points out flaws in their reasoning. It's also strange that you use the word convert, as if Mormonism Live is some kind of proselytizing church show looking to convert people to its religion. Team Poseidon says, It may have been a stretch to question whether he was connected to the Lafferty's, but the conversation was polite enough, and the purpose of the questioning was clearly to illustrate this particular mindset that many believing members have, where they simply cannot bring themselves to deal with the undeniable implications of facts and logic. It became clearer and clearer as Justin hemmed and hawed and equivocated and diverted just to avoid honestly dealing with a simple question, namely whether there is any amount of evidence that could convince him that someone who claims to be called as a prophet of God actually is not a prophet of God. He simply could not come up with any reasonable response. He finally came up with an example of something that would be too far for him personally, but couldn't bring himself to clearly state that it would convince him that the person was not a true prophet. It's that level of mind control that I'm sure prompted the question about a possible connection to the Lafferty mindset. Noah Heminger says, I think RFM made a valid point, and if the caller has any humility, he'll think long and hard about it. Richard Peckjack says, Without much introspection or analysis, most members will automatically do backflips to defend the church, even at the expense of their own integrity. And here I weighed into this particular subthread of the comments on YouTube, and I said, I appreciate the feedback, Rebecca. She was the first person who commented in this particular subthread. Poseidon nailed it. The reason my questions became more direct was because Justin would not answer them. And just when I thought we had reached agreement with his example of prophets inciting violence, and I was going to use that agreement as a point to end the discussion on a friendly note, he waffled. Rebecca responds to me, Believe it or not, but some people need time to answer, and sometimes the question is so new that it might take quite a bit of time. You blew it. Do you want a convert by converting instantly, or a person who comes back because you got him started on thinking? And then Kid Freshy says, Justin wasn't arguing in good faith, and they exposed him for that. Had Justin engaged in good faith, the conversation would have been different. Just more gaslighting and obfuscation, and that should always be exposed. So you can see there's definitely a conversation going on about whether what I did was right, whether it was wrong, whether it was too far, whether it was not far enough. But I am definitely getting the sense that there are a number of listeners who did not like what happened. And that's the main reason that I'm doing this podcast today. So we've got pretty good comments in the live chat. Things are starting to turn negative about my line of questioning in the comments on YouTube. But then the emails start rolling in. Sometimes people will email me through the Mormon Discussions email address. Those go to Bill Real, and once he sees them, which can take some time, he will forward them to me, and it may take some time for me to see them as well. But there were two emails that were forwarded to me by Bill Real that I just saw yesterday, and I'm recording this part of the podcast on Saturday morning, May 27th, 2023. So the first time I saw these emails was Friday morning 
on May 26th. 2023. I want to read you these two emails, which were very critical of my behavior in the podcast. I'm not going to include their names because these are private correspondence as opposed to public comments made on the YouTube comment section or in the live chat. But this first one runs as follows. It's dated, by the way, Sunday, May 21st of 2023. Dear RFM and Bill, My wife and I began listening to Mormon discussions back in 2014 as we were beginning to slow transition out of the church. Bill's gentle approach at that time was perfect, and we progressed as he did. When RFM began podcasting on your platform, he joined Bill as one of our favorite podcasters. Your research and informed insight is always well done. As seniors with children who we indoctrinated into the church, we are in a tricky position. Some of our children and grandchildren are still full TBMs, and it is always difficult to know how to interact with our believing loved ones without hurting them. Your podcasts continue to help us in many ways. Thanks for all you do. Now we need to add a comment of disappointment. It is hard to do because of how much we appreciate all your efforts and know how difficult it is to respond to callers in live broadcasts. However, we were saddened by RFM's response to Justin. He was the TBM who called at the end of This Last Mormonism Live, May 17, 2023. We felt what RFM did was a form of badgering. Especially to compare Justin to the Lafferty brothers was uncalled for. It would be hard enough for a believing member to call your show, but then to be treated so poorly had to hurt. You may have been correct in some of what you said, but your approach to him was unkind and unnecessary. It was not the type of healthy dialogue that would promote mutual respect. There is a quote that may apply here. You cannot reason a person out of a position he did not reason himself into in the first place. Jonathan Swift In other words, it may be okay to make a few points with TBMs you disagree with, but to try and bludgeon them into your point of view isn't going to work and only looks bad on you. On a few rare occasions, we have noticed Bill has also been a little harsh on callers, and even more rarely, you have mocked callers after hanging up with them. That never looks good. Sorry for our negative comments. It is hard to do so because you both do so many things right. Nonetheless, we have one last suggestion. Many of us decry the LDS Church for never apologizing, but we wish you would offer a sincere apology on the air to Justin. Don't do it, however, if you don't mean it. Signed, the husband and wife, who are listeners to the show, who sent me that email. The second email is a little bit shorter than that one, but this is sent by another listener. It is directed to me specifically, as opposed to the prior email, which was to both me and Bill. RFM, I want to start by saying thank you. I've been along for the ride since the beginning of your podcasts, and I've been a supporter for years. Your attention to detail and explanations helped me get through my difficult transition out of the church with self-confidence and self-trust. I particularly enjoyed your take on the Book of Abraham and Joseph Smith's translations, as these were topics of dissonance for me. Unfortunately, I was deeply saddened by the end of episode 128 on Mormonism Live when a caller, Justin, identified as being an active member struggling with this whistleblowing SEC scandal. I was happy to hear an active member was calling into your podcast, and he was calling not to debate with you, but to ask sincere questions. This was a missed opportunity to make inroads with this segment of your fan base. Instead, he was attacked, insulted, and constantly cut off. It was embarrassing to listen to. He was consistently pushed to acknowledge or admit the brethren aren't real prophets, when he obviously was making it very clear he wasn't ready to go that far yet. Very disappointing. You mentioned always trying to be critical and not cynical, but your Lafferty accusation was exactly that, cynical, and a huge inaccurate leap from what he was trying to communicate as he was working out thoughts for himself on the hot seat. Sincerely disappointed, and then the name of this particular listener to the show. So I wanted to get out there and in public and on the podcast the negative comments that have come my way regarding my interaction with Justin on the show. And at this point, I want to share with you what it was that I was thinking when I was listening to what it was that Justin was saying. Now, once again, what it was that Justin said that triggered this thought in my mind was that the prophet could receive a revelation that the members should pick up arms and start killing innocent people. And at that point, Justin would no longer follow the prophet. But then he waffled and said, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he wouldn't be a prophet. 
This immediately brought to mind the interview with Dan Lafferty that was conducted back in the year 2000. Now, let me give you the thumbnail sketch about the Lafferty's just in case there's anybody out there who doesn't know the basic building blocks of the story. The Lafferty's were a family who were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They were very orthodox in some ways. In other ways, they were ultra-orthodox. And the adult sons of the Lafferty's, or at least some of them, began to take things even further than their parents had. Specifically, Dan Lafferty had become involved in a group called the School of the Prophets. And one of the main points of the School of the Prophets was to practice receiving revelations from God. Dan invited his older brother Ron to join in, and Ron was initially skeptical, but eventually he fell in with the group and began receiving revelations of his own. And at one point, Ron begins to receive a revelation, which he tells his brother Dan that he's received a revelation that a woman, Brenda, and her 14-month-old baby should be taken out of the way, destroyed, murdered. And Brenda and her 14-month-old baby, Erica, were not strangers. They were actually members of the Lafferty family. A younger brother to Ron and Dan was named Alan, and Alan had married Brenda. This is Alan's wife. This is Alan's baby that Ron has received a revelation have to be murdered, which ultimately Dan accomplishes. Dan doesn't receive the revelation. Ron receives the revelation, but Dan, in reliance on the revelation received by his brother and believing it to be true and believing it to be from God, kills his sister-in-law and his niece. Now, the murder itself happened on Pioneer Day, July 24th of 1984. Dan was convicted and sent to prison. Back in the year 2000, Tom Barberi, a very, very prominent and capable interviewer, landed an interview with Dan Lafferty. Dan Lafferty, of course, was still serving his sentence, which he continues to serve today, thank God, in prison. But Tom Barberi was able to work things so that he could conduct an interview over the phone with Dan Lafferty. And a listener to the show had told me that back in 2000, he recorded this interview by audio cassette. And he had kept that audio cassette. He sent it to me. I converted it over to MP3. And I put the entirety of the interview up on the Radio Free Mormon podcast last year. But there was a theme that came up a number of times in this interview. The interview itself is less than an hour. But the theme was that if God gives a revelation to somebody, and that revelation says that somebody has to be killed, then Dan's point of view was, yes, that's serious. Yes, that has to be treated very cautiously. But on the other hand, you don't want to go too far on the other side of being concerned about the welfare of these people that are listed to be killed, even if they're members of your own family. You don't want to go too far in that direction because if the revelation is truly from God and God really wants these people killed, then if you fight against it, you're putting yourself in opposition to God. And the phrase he uses over and over is, you're interfering with God's business. And it was this theme, it was this thought that what Justin said on the show made me think of. And that's why I went down the road to the Lafferty's. I have pulled four clips from the interview with Dan Lafferty back in the year 2000, which I'm going to play for you now, where he hits this theme over and over again. And hopefully this will explain to you why it was that my mind went here when Justin said what it was he said. The first clip is when Tom Barberi asks Dan Lafferty what Dan thought when Ron came to him with the revelation that Brenda and 14-month-old Erica should be killed. He came to me actually trying to find some con consolation, I guess. He, he said, I'm receiving a revelation that's frightening me. And I said, well, does it seem the same as the ones you've had before? I didn't want to pressure him or make him uncomfortable in any way. And uh, I determined that he felt like he was receiving it in the same way. And I says, well, when you feel comfortable, you can talk to me about it. Uh, and in, a due, in due course, he told me that it was talking about taking lives. And I says, oh, my, that is, uh, that is heavy. I can see why it's concerning you. Uh, all I can say is just continue to be as sensitive and careful as you can be. Don't, uh, uh, don't err on the side of care either. You don't want to offend God by not being willing to... Uh, accept what he's telling you and at the same time don't tip over the other side either and in due course he told me about this revelation where it said that it was talking about removing uh these two individuals who had become obstacles 
So there's the first part of the interview where Dan starts talking about revelations to kill somebody being serious, but not wanting to oppose them just because you're talking about killing somebody because this might be God's will. And this is the point in the interview where he's talking about his response to his brother Ron when Ron came to him with this revelation. Later on in the interview, Dan starts talking about how two months before he murders Deborah and Erica, he goes to Alan, the husband of Brenda and the father of Erica, and tells Alan about this revelation that Ron has received, that Brenda and Erica have to be killed. And he describes what Alan's response was to this revelation. And it's the same damn thing. Uh, Did he express any uh, dismay, the fact that you had revelations that were going to take his wife and daughter's life? Yes, he did. He, uh, but I felt, I felt prompted to tell him about it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And the moment I remember it was in my father's house when I did it, and it was just the right moment for it, I guess. Ron was with me when it happened, and I, I said, Alan, I just feel like I need to tell you that Ron has received a revelation that talks about taking your wife and your child's life. And his reaction was? He was quite shocked, obviously, and but he knew what we were involved in. He knew we were involved in serious issues with the School of Prophets and things, and he made a comment uh, without quoting him specifically to let me know that he was concerned about God's business and wanting not to offend God, and I was very impressed by his... He didn't go off the deep end and try to do everything possible to protect the life of his wife and baby from his brother who was bent on killing them? No, he didn't go off the deep end, if in, as you may be describing it here. What essentially, let me try to describe what happened. He made a statement that let me know that he wanted to do what God wanted. He wanted God's business to be done. But he said, now you also must understand, he says, I will defend my family with my life. If you were to try and fulfill this revelation and I was around, you'd have to take my life too because I would defend my family. And I said, I understand that, Alan. I don't, I just feel like I should tell you. I don't know why necessarily. I don't know that this will ever happen. I'm just telling you what I know at this point. And uh, I did, presume... This, did not, this, this conversation did not get heated in any way? He no. didn't. There was no he never no. showed uh, a great passion for uh, safety of his wife and baby. No, it didn't get heated, but it got emotional. There were tears involved. And I would say that it is at this part in the interview that I most closely associated with what I felt I was hearing Justin say that the prophet could say, pick up arms and start killing innocent people. He wouldn't follow him anymore. He wouldn't go along with it. But that doesn't mean that he wouldn't be a prophet that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not coming from God. And that sounded so much like what Alan told his brother Dan when Dan told him that Ron had received a revelation to kill Alan's wife and baby girl, that that's why I went there. It had already been broached, the subject of Under the Banner of Heaven had already been broached previous in the conversation by Justin, and that helped me make the connection, no doubt. But that's not the end of this discussion of interfering with God's business when God says to kill somebody and how you don't want to be caught in opposition to God. He goes on two more times, and the next clip I'll play is when the interviewer, Tom Barberi, asks Dan to reflect on his life. It's now the year 2000 when the interview is taking place. The murders had happened on July 24th, 1984, 16 years previous, and Tom Barberi asked Dan if he's had a chance to reflect on this and if he's come to the decision that maybe that wasn't God speaking at all. And here's what Dan has to say. You don't ever second-guess your actions. Well, I wouldn't say I don't second-guess them, because I have, have had some good long talks with God about this, and I've been willing to... Uh, in fact, I, I had a good talk with God about I said, if, if this isn't your business, God, and I've done wrong, it's not because I did intentionally wrong. If, if I've done wrong, you need to let me know, and... Maybe I've gotten into a hole too deep to dig my way out of, but I'll do whatever I can if you'll let me know that I've done wrong because uh, God knows that I never did anything intentionally wrong. And if I've been deceived, I need to know that if there's anything I can do about it. And uh, This, of course, is your opinion. You have no idea. You haven't gotten any written text from God or 
Uh, anything else? This is just your, your inner I internal feelings. That's primarily what has been my guiding influence. And yeah. you've never gotten any messages, uh, however they come to you, saying that you did the right or wrong thing, or is God ignoring you? Not on that subject. Well, God didn't ignore me because I feel like I got uh, to a comfortable place on that subject I was discussing with him at, when I finally felt uh, like I probably should address it. I had acknowledged, see, people... Very few people ever considered that I have done wrong or done right. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I'm equally uh, in error to never think that I've done wrong. I better consider the possibility. So I have been through that. And you came to the conclusion that you did not. And I was, wrong. I was able to resolve completely to my own satisfaction and comfort that it was God's business. And, and uh, I've been comforted in that. So that's the third clip from the Dan Lafferty interview conducted by Tom Barberi, in which Dan reiterates this theme of not wanting to get involved in God's business. You don't want to come out in opposition to God, even if God has given a possible revelation that someone should be killed. It's possible it could be from God, so you don't want to come out against it. You're just going to ignore it. You're just going to let things take their course. Or in Dan's case, he's going to lend a helping hand. The fourth and last time, this subject is broached by Tom Barberi is right at the end of the interview. And in this question, he couches it as asking Dan Lafferty, what would Dan Lafferty say to somebody if this somebody came to him and told them that this somebody had received a revelation that somebody else should be murdered? And here's Dan's response, which will not surprise you. It is consistent with everything else he has said on the subject. Dan, would you have a last quick question for a short answer because I'm really out of time. Okay. Would you have any any thoughts to tell somebody who thinks that they are getting these kinds of messages to commit this kind of an act? Well, uh, I've had that question posed to me before, and I, all I can say is I wouldn't... You know, people have got to do what they feel is right. I, I don't... Uh, I would... I couldn't see myself trying to prevent something, someone from doing something thought they thought was right, as long as it didn't involve me, I guess. But I really don't know that I'd have any kind of useful advice there. I'm big on free agency, so that opens up pretty... Even if that agency would take the life of another individual? Well, here's the, here's the problem. What if it is God's business? If someone says they think God's directing them to do something, I surely if, wouldn't want to be uh, standing in God's way. That's not a good place to be. And what if it isn't? And if it isn't, then I guess consequences will follow. You say oops. So there we have not one, not two, but four times that Dan Lafferty has made it very clear that if someone claims to have a revelation to kill somebody, you don't want to get involved. You don't want to oppose that because you might be opposing God. And I want to make it clear that in my mind, I wasn't associating Justin the Caller with Dan or Ron Lafferty. I was associating him in my mind with Alan Lafferty, who even though it was his own wife and daughter who were marked for murder, he wasn't going to get in the way of that. If he was there, oh, he'd have to fight to defend them. Of course, he'd fight to the death to defend them. And then coincidentally, I suppose, on a state holiday, Pioneer Day, July 24th, 1984, Alan, the husband, just happens to be away from home at work in Ogden when his brothers, Dan and Ron Lafferty, show up at the house to do the wet work. But as I say, this podcast is an attempt to have a discussion about what happened with Justin, my response to him, Justin's response to me, and I'm doing it by way of explanation as opposed to attempting to defend my actions. I hope I don't come across as overly defensive. As much as it makes sense to me what I was thinking when I was having this exchange with Justin, it also occurs to me that when a group of people who are listeners to the show come to me and say, I think that you were off here and I think that you shouldn't have done it this way, I am more than open to hearing the criticism and acting upon it and doing my best to change my behavior. I always want to try and be better and produce the best podcasts that I possibly can. One of the listeners who wrote me an email had suggested that I do a public apology to Justin. And I'm certainly happy to do that. And I'll do that right now. And I'll do it all day long because I did not mean to come across as harsh to Justin or putting him in the hot seat. I think that I got carried away. That's probably the best thing I can say. My lawyer training, the instincts kicked in and I didn't rein them in soon enough. So sure, I apologize absolutely to Justin publicly, but I can do you one better than that. Because 
It's not just today on Saturday, May 27th, 2023, that I started feeling bad about this. I have had some qualms about it ever since it happened. I received negative feedback as well as positive feedback about the exchange. But the negative feedback weighed on me. I did not want to be seen as a person who would come down like a bag of rocks on a TBM who calls into Mormonism Live. So I thought, how can I possibly get a hold of Justin so I can apologize to him personally? And then the thought hit me. By the way, this is Tuesday night, last Tuesday night, on May 23rd of 2023. And I thought, wait a second, Justin called into the show. He's got a phone number that he called from. So I texted Bill because I don't handle the call-ins. And Bill does. And I texted him and I asked him if he had Justin's phone number. He texted it back. I called Justin the following morning on Wednesday, just this past Wednesday, May 24th, and I left him a message. I then texted him later that day because some people don't listen to their messages. They respond better to text, and indeed, that was the way it was with Justin. And he called me back. We had a nice 37-minute conversation on Wednesday afternoon. He was very glad that I had reached out to him. I was very glad that he had called back. We had a nice 37-minute conversation, and almost right off the bat, he was apologizing to me which wasn't the point of the phone call, but he's apologizing to me because he said after this happened, he listened to it again and he realized that he wasn't answering my question over and over. So he apologized to me for being frustrating to me by not answering my question. And I said, wait a second, Justin, you don't get to apologize to me before I apologize to you because that's the purpose of this phone call. So we had a nice conversation. We shared some thoughts, some experiences back and forth. I explained to him everything that I was thinking during his phone call, just the way that I have been explaining it tonight. We ended on good terms. We are now friends. I hope he has me on speed dial. One of his requests at the end of the show was that the next time he calls, he gets put to the head of the list. And I said, absolutely, we will do that. And I also want you to know that without my asking, Justin volunteered toward the end of our phone call for me to use this conversation and the mutual apologies going on to tell the audience that that's what happened. So that's what I'm doing with Justin's permission. So that's about all I have to say on this particular issue of the phone call with Justin. It does remind me of a saying from my favorite prophet, Walt Whitman, who once said, I am the worst man I know, but thank God I am also the best. Well, that's about all for tonight. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.